Welcome to the Your Live Well podcast series, bringing you expert-led advice, thoughts and opinions from across the breadth of well-being and from some of the amazing contributors featured at Live Well London 2020. In this episode, Rhiannon Lambert, registered nutritionist and founder of Retrition, shows us how eating a healthy diet can do a lot to improve your mood, sense of well-being and your physical and mental health. Interviewed by Suzanne Baum, freelance associate editor of Fit and Well, celebrity interviewer, journalist and daytime TV contributor, they show us how exploring the relationship between what and why you eat your food can be really effective. Rhiannon believes nutrition can help towards increased positivity, clearer thinking, more energy and calmer moods. And we can't wait for you to discover this for yourself too. Enjoy. Hi, my name is Suzanne Baum. I'm um, fitness. I'm editor of Fit and Well magazine, and I'm here today to speak to Rhiannon Lambert, Hello. a lovely nutritionist, <laughs> and we're discussing um, a session on mood and food. Rhiannon's a well-known nutritionist, founder of Retrition, London's leading private nutrition clinic, um, best-selling author podcast host <laughs> and everything else so um we're going to explore about how foods can make you feel yes so i'm sure it's not something you can sum up in a nutshell <laughs> but no um first of all can everyone hear me okay is that good excellent i tend to fiddle around with these mics though when they're by my mouth i've got to try and Same. keep it in one place i think food and mood is something that's extremely important to understand first of all of course, there's external factors that are going to influence how we feel every single day. So lack of sleep, um, feeling stressed, feeling run down if you get sick, any relationships like an argument with someone. That's external. But we can do something on the internal element. And that mainly starts inside your gut. So inside your gut, about 90% of your serotonin is produced. That's your happy hormone. So if you think about it, what you then eat is going to directly impact the amount of bacteria and serotonin produced because messages go from your gut up to your brain. Now there are two separate components in the brain that are influenced by your mood. The first one is the dopamine. You probably all heard of dopamine. Probably not for good reasons. <laughs> probably for, for drugs or something else that um, we're not going to be doing, delving into today. But tyrosine from protein, which is an amino acid, helps produce dopamine. And then the food that we eat, especially protein and carbs, tryptophan, which is an amino acid, creates serotonin. So remember that's your two components. You've got your dopamine and your serotonin, and that comes directly from the type of food you eat. But ultimately, you've got to be looking after your gut health because that is what's going to be a major contributing factor to your brain and how you feel every day. Does that make sense? Kind of. I feel <laughs> gut health is more out there at the minute than it ever has been. Mm. Is that right? I mean, 100%. I'm just sipping on a lovely kombucha um, that someone gave me a moment ago. And I think we're all fascinated by it because we're finally getting the research. 
there's still a lot more that needs to be done, but we do know now that things that happen inside us, so two kilograms of what you weigh is living bacteria. It's quite a lot of stuff. If you think of two kilos of bacteria piled up, that's a lot. And what you eat will directly be impacting the types of bacteria, so what we call good or bad bacteria inside your gut. So you really want to be thinking, how can I get the best types of foods that this bacteria is gonna eat? Every time your bacteria eats food, it gives off gas as a byproduct. So you've got constant exchanges of energy happening inside your gut. So every single little thing you guys are eating is gonna be kind of having an impact on maybe any IBS-related symptoms you may feel every day, how your body copes with digestion, and then in, in return, of course, the hormone functions, and equally B vitamins, which play a role with your energy metabolism, are also synthesized in your gut. So that's why we're talking about it. There's links with depression, there's links with heart health, there's so many links with your gut. And you spoke about energy. What, what are the best foods for us to eat to lift our up to lift up our energy. Ooh, <laughs> um, contrary to what you might think, dairy milk isn't always the answer here when it comes to eating for energy. Um, you want to be getting a lot of these B vitamins because your B complex is extremely important. You get B vitamins from different protein groups, different types of pulses and beans can also provide you with these special B vitamins. B12 is a very important one. If anyone is on a plant-based diet or more, let's say more down the vegan side of things, you're probably very aware because everyone will say, get your B12, make sure you're getting that in. That's a key component of energy. And of course, carbohydrates, carbs. Our brain can only really use optimally carbohydrates as fuel, glucose. It's a natural type of sugar and that is your brain's preferred source of fuel. Carbohydrates also fuel your muscles. So that creates something called glycogen, which is a lot of water combined with carbs. If you imagine an invisible layer around your body of glycogen, you are fueling that every single day. So you've got your B vitamins, your carbs, and then you need iron, which again is going to keep you feeling pretty, uh, pretty energized. Iron deficiency in the UK is one of the most common deficiencies, especially in teenage to young adults, females. Links, of course, to periods and your menstrual cycle here as well. But you've got to be very aware. And then finally, vitamin D. Let's face it, it's March and it's still cold and not very sunny. <laughs> we don't get enough sunlight in the UK. And in the winter months, you need to be getting at least 10 micrograms of vitamin D as a supplement. That's government guidelines. So that's lots of different dietary components. So energy really does depend on getting a whole host of vitamins and minerals in your diet, a good balance of everything you need. So what about coffee? Oh, here we go. I should have said coffee, not dairy <laughs> milk. It's because I don't love coffee. That's straight away in my head, I think chocolate. Um, <laughs> so caffeine is not going to solve your lack of energy. It's a stimulant. Caffeine does directly play a role with your adrenal glands. So on your, I'm going to stand because I find it hard to describe it. On, on your back, you've got your kidneys around here. And then on top of your kidneys, about this big, you've got your adrenal glands. They sit on top. 
every time you drink coffee or you stimulate stress or you have an argument at work, you're secreting adrenaline and you're secreting cortisol. They're your stress hormones. Now, you don't really want to be doing this any more than when you're running late for work in the morning, you're secreting these hormones already. To wake up, cortisol's high. And that's because it wakes you up in the morning. If you're having a coffee, you're then kind of stimulating that cortisol even more, but then you're creating a very fast drop. Caffeine has a 12-hour shelf life. So I see lots of people in my clinic. I'm sure you ask because I'm guessing you love a coffee. I love coffee, but I've seen you drinking matcha. Yeah, I'm a bit of a matcha fan. But um, matcha has, green tea has around 30 milligrams of caffeine, whereas coffee has 70 milligrams per cup. So there's a big difference. Matcha and green tea hit your body slowly. Caffeine from coffee, you all know it, hits you fast. That's why we get this kick. It's not that it's giving you energy, it's creating a stimulant effect. So people become so reliant on this sudden boost of stress hormones Mm -hmm. that we produce. Coffee can be a very, I'm not going to use the word addictive as black and white, but it can be very, very tempting to consume my, some of my clients five or six a day. And what about the connection between weight loss and green tea? Is that a myth? Is that... It's, it's a funny one because um, I think everyone wants a miracle when it comes to weight loss because we have a problem in the Western world where we have a large percentage of the population that we know need to be looking at weight maintenance and there's no denying that fact. So lots of research studies are often conducted on individual types of foods to see if chili will help you lose weight. Green tea will help you lose weight. What's another common one I see? Um, High protein diets will help you miraculously lose weight. If only it were that easy. Um, There are studies that green tea boosts metabolism, but technically your metabolism is just how you break down foods. You can't boost it and you don't know what's happening to the overall diet of the individuals that have been included in the study. You don't know if you've taken into account their energy intake every day, their activity, their sleep. Maybe before they were a coffee addict and they were having mochas and then they suddenly switched to green tea. Uh, The component in green tea baby brain kicking in, begins of E, epi something, and I've written it on an article, if you Google my name and green tea, that is the component in the brain that's stimulated and that's apparently meant to help speed up the process. It's not 100%. I would kind of put that in the myth category, green tea. So in your clinic, you obviously see people with all sorts of issues. What, what, what's becoming more, not, not so much popular, but what are you worrying most about? Oh, um, so in the Retrition Clinic, we've got lots of different people specializing in different areas. So we have eating disorders, sports nutrition, intuitive eating, weight maintenance, gut health, uh, pre and postnatal. Yeah, that's kind of our main, main spectrum. Unfortunately, still eating disorders is one of our most popular services, um, which is very, very sad. It seems to be that in society, we have two ends of the spectrum, all or nothing. And we very rarely have a middle ground of people that want to see me just because they want to feel happy and healthy and feel a bit more energized every day. I rarely get those sessions. I will get the extreme poor relationships with food. And would you say social media has played a part in that? 
I think so. I think, mm. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Um, so I did an interview for Sky News last week after the, uh, the death of Caroline. And it's a really sad time, I think. And it's a bit of an awakening with the effect the internet can have on your mental health. And this transpires into dietary habits too. And of course, food is a coping skill. We turn to food when we feel sad, we feel happy, we feel um, a range of emotions. And of course, all of you in here, doesn't matter how big you are as a person on social media, we all experience now, unfortunately, online bullying to some degree and comments you wouldn't like. And I think as an image-based platform, there's comparison, there's unrealistic attainable goals. So yes, social media probably does play a huge role. We're waiting for studies. We're all the guinea pig nation. Yeah. Um, we I don't also know. think there's so many people out there that claim to be fitness gurus, nutritional experts, when unlike you, they actually don't have the qualifications. How do you know who to follow, what to believe? Um, I mean, it's confusing. It's so confusing. I think ultimately you've got to use a bit of your common sense on top of everything else. So look for someone with qualifications and experience, ideally. Obviously, if someone's just starting out, they won't have as much experience. But question things. If you see things that look too good to be true, that's generically speaking the obvious um, answer. Well, it is too good to be true, a miracle claim. And anyone calling themselves an expert question that because I don't think I'm an expert far from it so nor would any of my colleagues or people that are the top researchers at Cambridge Uni they would never call themselves an expert because there's so much to learn the more you know the less you know which is really strange but so true you get more and more confused because you will discover there is research for and against absolutely everything and you've got to Find someone to follow who will be balanced and not judge you for what you want to do and just support you as an individual, which is tough on social media. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and especially with kids as they're growing up and they're kind of, it's their world, I suppose, now. Yeah. Than ours. yeah. Um, and in terms of food tips for breakfast, for example, what Ooh. do you suggest? Oh, I love this. One of my favorite questions. Uh, breakfast favorite meal of the day for me it doesn't have to be by the way just throwing that out there again I spoke about that on a media interview yesterday or the day before it's not for everyone if you wake up starving hungry then please enjoy a good breakfast fiber would be my number one tip so make sure you've got a good component of fiber in your diet that's what's going to feed your good gut bacteria keep you fuller for longer and support your energy levels throughout the day. A lot of fiber-rich foods contain B vitamins, contain iron, contain folic acid, those types of things that you require and that you need to be a healthy individual. So carbs, basically, whole grain complex carbs, an excellent source of fiber. Porridge, rye breads, whole grain breads. Um, Not saying you can't have white bread every now and again, fine, but just try and get more fiber where you can. A source of protein on your plate. Savory options, eggs, pulses, chickpeas, if you're plant-based. There are so many plant-based options now out there. If you're a fan of chia seeds and that sort of thing, you can bunk all that in as well. Think outside the box. Breakfast doesn't have to be traditional. 
um, my husband and I started making when we were really busy burritos in the morning because it's the easiest thing. We were like, okay, we, we scrambled these eggs. We wanted to sit down at the table and have time to eat it on toast and we'd run out of time. <laughs> well, I need to get to clinic, he had to go to work. So I just shoved it in a wrap, wrapped it up and then on the go, you've got a scrambled egg burrito. And I'm a porridge fan. I was going to say porridge. Yeah, but there's lots of recipes on nutrition for that sort of thing. And try and get some fruit and veg, always. And you're obviously pregnant. How yeah. has your food journey been? <laughs> um, well, you know, I can't lie. It's not been wonderful. I've not been the vision of health throughout my pregnancy. And I think it's important I say that because... People will assume as a nutritionist, I eat perfectly all the time. And I'm not gonna lie, I thought that I would fall pregnant and I would be that woman that would have a rainbow every day. I didn't have vegetables for about 16 weeks. Yes. There you go. See, <laughs> see rejoice in that fact to make anybody feel better. And my nausea has come back and it's oh. very, very difficult. But this is when my understanding of food helped. So knowing that I was getting a lot of carbohydrates, it was giving my body energy. And lots of flowers are fortified with nutrition, so you're still getting lots of things added to your food. Even a bowl of cereal has fortified iron a lot of the time, vitamin D, B vitamins, depending on the brand that you, you consume. So my journey has been interesting, but the nausea is back, unfortunately, oh, in no. third. I've got five weeks to go. I'm getting there. <laughs> and let's touch on your TED talk because I've oh, watched yeah. it and it was mind blowing. Um, how do you find giving them? <laughs> that was the most terrifying talk I've ever given in really? my entire life. Yes, I think because you ha you're so scripted and I knew it would be out there on the internet for anybody to have an opinion on. And that's a very, very difficult thing. Yeah. And I wanted to share a bit of hope with it. I think my angle on having a TED talk was more, I want to show people you can come from any background, be any size or shape, be any ethnicity. And if you learn and you empower yourself and you know the basic tools, you can make a decision for yourself. That, that was my real kind of message. It was how to have a healthy relationship with food. But giving a talk like that, knowing that you're being filmed from different angles and that if you click the clicker, because you can't see the slides behind you at the wrong time, the wrong slide will appear when you're doing the wrong line. <laughs> so that was the most stressful bit. And what about the podcast? Oh, I that love That must them. be fun. Oh, I think, um, so the podcast is back, not tomorrow, the week after, Monday the 9th. And we've got the most incredible series. I think because I get so much feedback on Instagram from what you all want to hear, I get to interview the, the best, when we use the word experts, the best people that are educated in that area to give a talk. And I learn so much every single time. We're trying to get it CPD accredited. So anyone that's training to be a nutritionist can use it as points towards their education because it's so, it's full of knowledge bombs. If everyone's listening to Food for Thought, um, we're back Monday night, so do let me know because we love your feedback and I want to know what you want to hear. What, do, what, what are people asking for? We've had everything. So coming up in this series as well, we've got whole episodes. Again, we've got more focused on dietary kind of areas than a new and emerging, um, more sleep-related types of episodes. One on menopause, which I think is really important. Mm -hmm. 
There are some men in here, but equally men need to listen to what goes on in a female's body because that's very, very important. And all of us, at some point in our life, will go through these things. Men will experience it with their partners. So it's hormonal health, another one on gut-related issues. We've got so many good topics. I can't even think. There's so many. And I presume as a nutritionist, you get a lot of questions asked about kids, what kids should be eating. Um, What would you recommend? So for children, it varies at every single um, age group as they grow older. You'd be surprised to hear, but youngsters actually need more calories than adults a lot of the time. And it's weird because you see their plate being very small, but actually they need to have more energy dense foods because if you think about it, they're they're growing a whole body and they're running around all day. They have so much energy. (laughs) I've got this all to come. Be very, very aware of government guidelines with vitamins and minerals you want to be achieving. And that will again vary throughout the lifespan. So my best advice, because I could be cherry plucking any age range here, would be go to Early Start's website or NHS and just check what the government guidelines are. And I have a whole episode as well coming up on weaning and childhood nutrition on the podcast too. Okay, great. And I think we wanted to touch on mental health and food and mood. Um, which is obviously hugely important. Where do you kind of begin with that? I mean, it's important because as much as I'm not one to demonize food groups, if you have an unhealthy balance of too many items that don't make you feel good versus lots of wonderful items that are going to make you feel fabulous, probably not going to help you every single day and how you feel in yourself the quality of your diet is the two cues and the quantity matters immensely we discussed those two hormones earlier we discussed your serotonin and we discussed your dopamine but equally let's have a think about do you get regular bowel movements are you able to eat without feeling pain and discomfort Does food create an emotional crutch for you? Is it something you rely on to get you through the day or are you using food to enhance your day? Do you get your omega-3s, which have also been shown to be beneficial for your brain? There's so many components, but really I would say your relationship with food when we're talking about mental health matters. Every single person in this room is going to have a unique relationship with food. If you, if you have a think about it, when you were a kid, every Friday night, was there a ritual in your house? Like, did you have a particular takeaway night or was every Sunday roast dinner? Or did you used to have to cook for yourself? Perhaps you've got, you remember arguments around the dinner table. These are the types of what I call your, on the TED talk, your food world, yeah, how yeah, yeah. you see the world of food that really has a huge role on how you then tell others about it and what you want to do with it. So just have a think about all those things across your life that you believe about it and have a think about how maybe you can create some positive experiences with food rather than negative ones. Great. Are there any questions? I'm sure there's lots of questions for you. Yeah, we've got a mic at the back over here. Any questions? Don't be scared because I can't hang around after. I'm so sorry. Yeah. 
does still feel strange being behind a breakfast bar. I'd like to ask about your matcha tea drinking. Oh, yes. I know that sometimes uh, some foods, if you combine them with other foods, the absorption of the benefits is better. So with matcha tea, is there something that's helpful to combine it with? First of all, understanding the benefits of things like matcha, because it's actually very unlikely in one cup you get any benefits if we're being honest. The studies that come from matcha and perhaps concentration, which is one of the big things, uh, matcha originally is a condensed green tea. So you're consuming the whole leaf rather than just um, in a tea bag, you wouldn't get all of the goodness because it's filtrated through the bag. The studies are concentration, improved mood, and there's, again, the link potentially with antioxidant consumption. To be honest, I wouldn't worry too much about that because all of the research is done on people that consume like 10 or 15 cups of it a day and really highly condensed. And that's going to taste, I mean, I, I, would, I think most people would feel a bit nauseous with that much green tea. When it comes to food combining... There are some food groups that really do matter. Um, fats, for instance, vitamins A, D, E, and K are fat soluble. So without some olive oil or something, you're not gonna get the main absorption. Some are water soluble vitamins like vitamin B and C, which if you get too much, your body will excrete anyway, naturally. Iron is another one. If you wanna get iron and you're a plant-based eater and you're eating lentils, well, you need some vitamin C to go with your lentils to help the absorption. So most people that prescribe iron supplements will also prescribe vitamin C. They're the kind of evidence-based examples. But yeah, don't worry about the matcha. It's still nice to have it, and it's nice to think it, it's a good thing. Um, it's just probably not providing as much as you think it would be. Great. Um, is it normal to gain weight, or common to gain weight in winter? And what advice do you have in terms of combating Yes, it is very, very common for most of the population in the winter months to gain a lot of what well, I like to call it winter plumage. Um, it's something I'll never forget when I used to work in a subway store and I worked with this lovely girl, Tracy. We used to shut the store at the evenings at like 10.30 when I was a student. And she's like, oh, I've got a bit of winter plumage. You know, my feathers are blooming. It's because we'd have all the cookies in the winter. But um, <laughs> think of Christmas. Think of the season. We're not outside as much. We're not as active. Our mood is lower. There's so many other factors to consider. To combat it, it really is trying to think of your comfort-based meals and creating them to be a little bit healthier for you. So perhaps looking at the amount of oil you add to your food, looking at the portion of food you have. So still keep your carbonaras but perhaps make them with reduced fat cheese rather than full fat for a while and just tiny small swaps every now and again but really most people tend to get into their healthier habits in the spring to the summer where we go via our body clocks when it comes to losing weight it's a very individual thing and that's something I can't offer a blanket response for but basically you're not alone if anyone if anyone's experiencing this in the winter months very very common <laughs> Mm -hmm. Are you more into getting your vitamins and minerals through foods and different food groups or are you into supplements as well and if so which kind of ones do you take? 
I'm 100% food can never be replaced by a supplement type of girl. We know that from literature. There is no magic from taking a supplement pill. There are times in your life when you need it. Like, for instance, being pregnant, I'm taking extra supplements to support that. Um, people, perhaps, that we know struggle with their relationship with food or they're on different medications or they're iron deficient, they will need supplements. If you don't eat any omega-3... I would probably recommend having a supplement for omega-3. But really, if anyone online is saying this supplement is superior to another one, question it. Because most su the supplement industry is one of the biggest money-making industries out there. They earn a fortune and they prey on the vulnerable for miracle claims on their bottles that can be ordered online because if you order online the regulations different to if you order in a shop they can make different claims on the internet you cannot make on the TV or in a shop like this is a fat burning pill you couldn't say that on the shop shelf but you could say that on the internet so definitely question anyone that's giving you supplements without seeing you. God, I'd need to see you for at least an hour in my clinic, at least before I'd feel comfortable knowing what to tell you to eat, let alone what pills you should take. You mentioned that like online it's quite hard to tell who's like authentic yes. and what nutrition. So what advice would you give? There's a lot of coaching schools and nutrition qualifications that you can get on like voucher. And things like that. So I love it. Voucher um, brings. <laughs> yeah. Like, where would you suggest looking if you wanted to get into the nutrition? So, anyone looking for a credible nutritionist or dietitian will have at least three to four years degree, um, and a lot more on top of that because a degree isn't enough. It's so so difficult now. If you want to teach yourself. Fair enough. Do an online course. It could be quite fun. If you're not intending on using that information to advise others, that's okay. But the university degrees are built on the foundations of biochemistry, pathophysiology. You're looking, you're, you're sharing modules with doctors, essentially, and neuroscientists when you do a nutrition degree, which... Oh my gosh, I remember immunology and I, I used to cry before I go to those lectures and statistics. But you need those foundations in order to then go on to specialize in the food area, which happens in the last year of the degree and in your master's and in your other courses. I'm still paying for courses to this day every year. So really look, an easy way is to look for a registered dietitian or registered nutritionist, but that you want that degree foundation that would be my advice. AFN or BDA are the two most credible boards in the UK that are supported by the government. It's very confusing. And I know that's, that sounds a bit you know, unrealistic. If anyone wants to go out and study, I wish there were an easier way, but it does take the hard graft to, become a, to be able to help people, really. Okay. Any more questions? No? Okay. Thank, Thank you, you very much. much. Thank, Thank, you. You. Thank you for coming. Thank and enjoy you. the next podcast next week. <laughs>
For now, take care, live well, and we will see you next time.